And people who don't know what a suicide cord is, well, what the hell are they talking about? Yeah, what are you talking about? A suicide cord. <laughs> it's basically two male plugs, one on each end. So if you plug in one to a hot line, the plug is hot on the other end. And if you touch it, you're in deep trouble. <laughs> Talk Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 287 is recorded live June 23rd, 2016. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the recently powered side of the great state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? Doing very well. I'm glad to be here. And here we are. In the first Thursday of summer, hard to believe, and it is the 23rd, so summer's almost over with. <laughs> <laughs> it's just mentally, when you hit that July 4th, I feel like we're that's a halfway point, and here summer just started, and, and we've already like, missed it. Yeah, and it looks like the corn will be knee-high by the 4th of July. That rain we got recently had just helped us, because it was looking a little dicey. A few farmers had already started irrigating. Uh, so this is what they needed. Of course, they're going. If you talk to them, they want they they don't want the big amount of rain that we had. They want to have a uh, little bit every day. That works better for them. Well, everybody's yard around here is fried. <laughs> yeah, mine was getting pretty brown. But for those who don't know, uh, Southwest Michigan on Monday, and it wasn't even forecast. There was really you know there was like some chance of isolated thunderstorms, but we had what they call those little microbursts. Happened uh, in the afternoon, and from Baroda all the way to where I live, they had what well, at the time they were calling straight line winds, and these are the most horrendous straight lines winds I've seen. Because normally it's a straight line wind, it's like a strip, and it might go for three or four miles, but it's not wide. This was wide. It looks like a freaking tornado when you're in an airplane and you mm-hmm. go over it. You can't tell the difference. No. And there was, uh, oh, have, have you gone and looked at, with the plane? Uh, no, I have not, but I have oh. done it before on other ones. You and it's fly over here things. by the house, and you will be amazed. There's there's a stand of pine trees where somebody had planted pine trees. I would say probably forty, fifty years ago, and the stand was thirty feet wide by maybe one hundred fifty feet deep. A third of them have knocked over like toothpicks. Uh, there were big trees, and it was not just like an isolated big tree. It was like big trees all in a row. And when we're talking big trees, we're talking two, 300-year-old maples knocked over. Not just the pines and the scrub, but big trees. And my wife, who works for the county, has gotten word that they are classifying it as a tornado. That's, that's somebody. And I don't know if they're doing it based on the damage scale. But it rained so hard, nobody could see anything. So there, I believe what's going on is they're looking at the damage, saying that the type of damage is consistent with a tornado, 
they just had the spotters couldn't see it because the rain was coming down so heavy. I haven't seen it. Go ahead. Better there than here. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen the tornado looking stuff because this is all like, it's all straight line. Everything's pushed the same direction, but it, it, it twisted. Like if you have a road sign and it's a metal road sign and it's got the, you know, beware of bikers or whatever on it, it twisted those around and flattened them to the ground. Not, not a tree hit it or something ran into it. The wind just knocked the sign over. An electric pole with a transformer got knocked over and no tree touched it. Wow. I mean, this is this was a heck of a storm. And I was driving home at 5 o'clock not even realizing it. And when I came into it, I'm like, holy crap. I didn't know what I was going to see. And I'd been without power. So Monday at 2, I lost power. And just a few hours ago, we just got it. And it's, it's amazing how trashed a house can get with four people in the dark because you just can't pick anything up and there's just stuff and detritus everywhere but we're better now after throwing out several hundred dollars worth of food but while i was cleaning up you were getting a dive in so uh what was the agenda this week was that uh lake cora yes lake cora was a good one uh had good viz uh, thermal climb, 15 feet. And some people were, were sort of looking for a boat and a motor that was located last week ah. for possible salvage. And uh, we had some newbies who hadn't dove before. So I uh, went out and tagged the trampoline so they could find it. Mm-hmm. Kevin was there, so he tagged it with his reel. So I went over to found the sailboat, put a jug on it, then came up. And uh, I went scooting around looking for uh, the other boat with the motor on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were not successful, but we will probably go out in that direction again. Yeah, well, it's kind of fun when you have a, a purpose. Uh, and and it makes you realize how tough underwater navigation is. Yeah, it, it gives you an opportunity to definitely use your compass. Yeah, because it's hard to just repeat a dive. I, I know if I don't. Anytime I think I'm traveling a certain direction, I'll look down at my compass and see that I've drifted 20, 30 degrees. It, it, no. it doesn't take many kicks to do that. No, you get down there in, in low vis, you have to have a compass and know how to use it. Yeah. Well, I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. We have St. Louis Sam again, Scuba Oasis, and Flyboy is in there. Uh, we're recording a little bit earlier than I thought. Since you're going to the same spot, I was thinking you're going to be a little bit later, but you came in just about on the early end of the scale. So we're recording tonight just a little after 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. So if you're used to following, trying to get a hold of us at 9, we're a little bit later. So watch your email. I'm I'm putting out a notice about the time we think we're going to record. So let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. This first one we don't have a lot of details about. Oh my gosh! I just deleted it. Uh, here, I just I I, I restored. Thirty-year-old scuba diver left in critical condition after being struck by a boat when he resurfaced in the sea. Yeah, that's uh, you got it's bad this time of year. You have to make sure that you are diving with a flag when you're in this coastal waters where there's boat traffic, especially. Yeah, it said the uh, man was airlifted to the hospital for emergency treatment. There's confusion as to the cause of the incident with the owner of the boat saying no marker buoy was in place. And I'm assuming he meant no diver marker buoy. Right. 
which is interesting since I posted earlier today uh, a request with the Lake Association at Pawpaw that they reiterate to their people to stay 200 feet away from a die flag because they're not. Case in point was even tonight at Lake Coral. We come up and we're watching the boat run over. Uh, they think those are turning flags or something. They just ran right over there by the flags again. Forget the 200 feet. But we were up so they could see us. And I've got a very large flag now. Actually, I have three flags on mine. And it's like you could see them looking at us from the pontoon boat like, oh, wow, there are people over there. Yeah. <laughs> You're kind of flabbergasted. Like, what do we think? Oh, that must be divers marking where stuff is. I mean, they. I think everybody knows what a dive flag is, don't they? Well, obviously not. And generally, if you take the boater course, you're taught. Mm-hmm. But if you happen to have a boat on an inland lake that's not being transported and you don't go to the access points where we put the flags up and notices telling you what they are, mm-hmm. a lot of the people who operate have not even had boater training. You know what we should do is we should get a couple cameras uh, and do on-the-dock interviews with people. You know, we'll have to get release statements and everything and do a PSA uh, and and just find out. You know, ask people, hey, do you know what this flag is? If you see it in the water, what are you supposed to do? And then, you know, edit it together. I'm just, I'm just amazed that people don't know. But you're right. I mean, there are people who are running boats and they don't have any knowledge of what to do. And I'm always tend to be on the low lease government side of things. But if anything makes you want to require a driver's license for boats, it's stuff like that. Well, it's when the skiers use your flag as a turning or a pylon, you know, for their acrobatics. It can be very annoying, to say the least. That can be annoying, but I'm not so much afraid of the skiers skiing into me as I am the, uh, the boat propeller dicing me up into little strips. Or catching your line that's attached oh. to your body and then dragging you through the water at 30 miles an hour. Oh, that'd be bad. Uh, yeah, very bad. Which is a good rule. Do not put that to your body that can't come off. Right. And and when I, if you look at one of my first posts I ever did, and I need, probably need to refresh it, it was making my dive flag. And I actually made a clip on it. And a lot of people instantly said, oh, don't use that clip. And I, And I have selectively but it's it's a it's a clip that we use on horses where it's a, a quick clip to where you just run your hand down and it will release even under full pressure well we do it especially for grubbing in the shallows where there's not a lot of boat traffic yeah well that's and it's usually when i'm in the river is when i'll do that because yeah yep. we, we really need about five hands when you're grubbing in the river because you're holding on to the weight you're trying to pick up stuff you've got your dive flag You've got a dive light. You may have a camera. Uh, all of the above. All of the above. This week, yeah. I did get back in the river this week, too. <laughs> and then we have a plea for safety gear in the wake of scuba deaths. The death of two scuba divers at Morrington, and this is in Australia, Friday, June 10th, is a case in point. They may not have died if vital res- uh, rescue equipment had been close at hand. That's the view of a man close to the incident, restaurateur Robert D. Santis, who ran the Rocks restaurant near the base of the pier after a teenager raised the alarm and climbed down the ladder into the rough seas. 
Whilst efforts were in vain, Mr. DeSantis has since condemned the shortage of life-saving equipment that could have helped him rescue diving instructor Laureen Hansen, 40, who taught Harbor Dive Australia Mornington, and a male student, 39, whose name has not been released, of uh, Lang Warren. The pair drowned in rough and windy conditions after the student apparently got in trouble on the seaward side of a stone wall about noon. Miss Hansen desperately tried to push him to the safety of the steel ladder in the huge swells, ultimately at the expense of her own life. A clear... Uh, a clearly still affected Mr. DeSantis last week reflected on the tragedy and discussed measures that could put in place to prevent a repeat. There was nothing at hand that we could use to help them. We literally had to steal a 1960s fiberglass light ring from the muscle man's boat on the other side of the pier. And that took valuable time. A young fellow who was helping me didn't have a mobile phone and had to run to the yacht club to get assistance. And that took more time. The delays may have cost 10 to 15 minutes when Miss Hansen was fighting for life and that of her exhausted student while frantic Mr. DeSantis was wondering how he and his young helpers could save them both. There was not a life buoy, a rope, no emergency phone, no siren to sound that would have alerted others to come and help, he said. I had to go down the ladder with nothing. If there had been a rope, I could have at least clipped it on him and focused on her could have helped. And what would it cost? $5,000, $10,000? But so what? The Parks Victoria spent $15 million on replacing the pier and installing nice paving and fancy lights and bollards, <clears throat> but no life-saving equipment. Mr. DeSantis said the concern the gear would be vandalized is irrelevant if it helps save the life. I'm sure piers have such equipment. It's common sense. And what was a vandal going to break the glass and press the siren's buzzer if it's going to bring people running? What relevance is the cost if it would have saved two lives? The strong winds, rough seas, the diver's decision to venture to the seaward side of the pier, and their panic and exhaustion are all variables that played a part in their death. And it goes on a little bit uh, farther, but this is something that we've seen. I personally have lost family members to drowning, and in that case, it was the same thing. There was not a buoy anywhere near the banks where there's stocks. I. In this case, I do not side with that gentleman. And I, we just had a drowning last week mm-hmm. off the South Pier. Uh, that was a calm day. No wave action. We had life ring buoys available. Now, you know, it's like, so having it didn't make a difference. Well, it, it's not going to work every time. No, but, but the item here, mm-hmm. you know, what the hell were they doing diving in that kind of sea state? Especially trading dive. No, I agree that it was rough conditions. A rough I, conditions. It, to me, that's irresponsible for the instructor to have taken a student in that kind of conditions. But I do agree with the that peers need to have some of the safety equipment. Absolutely. And the excuse about, well, they steal the life rings, absolutely do. That's why they stopped it for a long time on the South Pier. They put them back again. Now they're uh, having a lot tighter patrols, especially since the shooting two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you'll notice the North Pier does not have any. Well, the North Pier seems like it'd be the one to, that would be easier to watch, considering that it has the uh, the new Lighthouse Museum. It has less people that frequent it, and nobody goes on that side to play in the water. Usually you're in the water. You don't jump on that side 
And I think it's just because of the direction of the wind normally. Because the waves are, would blow you right back into the pier. Yeah. But I think in general, you know, bot, boat docks, piers, you know, life rings are such a, a handy thing to have. Or, or throw bags. You know, every boat should have one. Uh, see, I, I can't agree. Common sense of the individual prevents most of those from happening. And so instead of having common sense, you're going to try to legislate something so people don't have to think and be responsible for their own action. That's wrong. Well, I, I don't think we have to legislate it. I just think that when you, well, like you said, you, they spent $15 million, but they couldn't find room in that to put in some life rings. Because people are stealing them. So if they had the life ring, but it had been stolen, you'd have the same condition. They'd still drown. Right. But, you know, that's all. That's what we always hear is they steal them. But how... How frequently, if you put a life ring out there and it stays for a number of years and then gets stolen. Never happens here. <laughs> never happens here? Yeah. Remember how many times they were stealing them? The whole, all of them? On the South Pier? No, I don't. You're talking dozens a year. And since you're only talking four months. And then the emergency call box that they put didn't work. The camera they put didn't work. So all that stuff that they put on the pier stopped working. Did not work. Correct. You'd go by there and there'd be a big tarp over the box and inoperative at this particular time. Don't jump in the water. Duh. And the only time people usually drown is when it's a rip current with the exception of last week. Mm -hmm. If you can't swim, why the hell are you jumping off the pier? There's this plane. You you can't fix stupid. Interesting, but... I do like the one here, though. You break the glass presser, and it makes a buzzer go off. The ones here are just on a hook, mm-hmm. so there's no alarm if you remove it. Yeah. I'm sure they have something like that, which it costs more, which help, would, I think, help prevent mm-hmm. that, especially if it would turn on a camera at the same time that worked. Yeah. Well, we've got they've got police call boxes all up and down the highways. Yeah. How can they keep those working? Nobody stops. <laughs> you, 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 you talk into the phone and they, you get a recording? I really haven't seen a lot of call boxes on the interstate, though. I, can't I, I see them when I go and travel to Missouri and into Illinois. It's usually at the rest areas, and then there's some on the Skyway. Okay, and, the rest areas, yes, I agree. And... But, a lot of times they'll be they'll have like a blue pole on it, and the one that always throws me off in the skyway is it's always flashing. So it makes me think that somebody's needs needs help, but I think it's flashing so that you, if you need help, you can look and see where the the, the call box is. When I lived in uh, Mannheim years ago, the highway between Mannheim and Frankfurt used to be called Death Highway, and every kilometer you'd have an emergency box like that. And they used to, it was so bad there, they'd have plasma in the boxes. They had plasma in the boxes? Yeah, they'd have emergency kits for blood and all that kind of crap. Now that's changed in the last 50 years, but back back in the day, that was a real nasty place. Wow. Plasma. Didn't stop the wrecks. Yeah. Well, I've heard that, the, that Europe's approach to uh, ambulances is different than the U.S. In the U.S., we, we grab them. And then we try to get them to the hospital as quick as we can. And, you know, it's, it's well qualified EMTs, but they're not, they're, they're doing what they can, 
but the goal is to get them to the hospital because there's a lot of resources there to help and to oh, triage. Yeah. But in Europe, they actually have doctors on the ambulances, and they don't move until they've got everything taken care of. Well, you'll find that on in your medevacs up here. Oh, like yeah, if you're on if you're on a helicopter, that's different. That's a different uh, case. Uh, but for an ambulance, it's a little bit different. We have you know emergency medical technicians, and they actually have. I think it's a form of doctor who's who's working in their their ambulances. Wow, we got we got moved quite a bit off topic. <laughs> uh, next one up, and I'm sure this is some embedded marketing. Uh, financial benefits of an all-inclusive revo- resort. And the article goes on and says some of the advantages of all-inclusives. And I personally do like all-inclusives. There's something about not having to pull your wallet out <laughs> every 20 minutes that is kind of nice. Uh, you know, they cover your food and drinks and and things. Uh, it's you're, you're paying for it. You don't get anything for free, but uh, you know it, it is nice. But the one thing I was not aware of, and I don't think this is at all in all the all-inclusives, but they mentioned that one chain of all-inclusives, if you like to scuba dive and are certified, you can do two dives a day at no cost. And it's not like a Bonaire where that's common at a lot of resorts. This was, I think, uh, Central America. It says if you want to scuba dive in your vacation, um, they said that that chain was cost-effective. Additionally, you get certified but it can be done for a $100 additional fee. But two dives a day included in the cost, I'm going to have to do some research on that. Because when I when I've, when I I went to Mexico, uh, it was like doing two boat dives up here. It was a, you know, you were well over $100. Now, two dives a day, I wonder, that might be shore dives. So it might just be whatever you can watch, tooth from the resort. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm going to find out. I've never been on an all-inclusive resort. That just spoils you. It's kind of like, I don't know if it's like a cruise. It's it's They just handle everything. You're, you're, you're not even expected to tip. We tipped, and it only takes a couple bucks for each meal, and you're treated like a king. You know, they'll, they'll fight over you uh, to give you excellent service. And this is, it's been five years since I went last, but, uh, that was, I, I, I loved it. I would love to do it again. Uh, now that I'm broke with kids, kids entering college, uh, yeah, but next time I get to go, I'll probably be in a walker. Boy, this is an uplifting episode. Okay. We have underwater park made special for scuba divers. Listen, so far, you swept me off my feet with your style and good look. Was that you or me? I think that was you. How come yours didn't do it if you clicked on it? Uh, because I ran right to it instantly. Oh, here it comes. <laughs> I'll see if I can find it and stop it. This is this one's me. Wow. Yeah, this is annoying. All right, I stopped it on my yeah, end. And, and if you're an advertiser, again, with these websites, Mike, this is, you know, we said we weren't going to be political, but I can still rant. Uh, you're getting screwed if you're paying for these ads because we're not, it's not doing you any good. I can't remember who they are, and if I could, it just would give me 
ammunition to got, not go to any of your businesses. And anytime I'm doing this, anyway, I turn my my sound off. So yeah. unless it's a visual that came up and blocked what I was reading, yeah, I don't hear it. I do the same thing. I, I usually have sound off, but that kind of makes for a tough podcast if we do it without sound. As, as a side note, I was reading something today as a – now that they've got hooked so many people on Facebook, they're actually going to start to charge is what I heard. Ah, uh, this, that, I think that's, that's, I know it's got to be a rumor or whatever, because the, 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 the amount I heard was anywhere from five to ten dollars. Yeah. And I thought that was a year, which is still, you know, yeah, hot, but it comes up about every six to eight months for a, last four or five years. See, I remember the first time it came around, it was probably four or five years ago. Facebook had only been out about a year, but they had surpassed MySpace as a top social site. And I can remember all my friends all were getting upset, you know, because we were figuring out where we're going to go if we can't be on Facebook. I think Facebook jumped a shark a long time ago. When when your parents are on it <laughs> and your kids are on it, because it was kind of nice because you could, you know, chat with your friends and say things you probably shouldn't say in public. And it felt okay. But now with, you know, employers using it, I I was volunteering for a group. And that was one of the first things that they looked is that they followed your Facebook profile. They Googled you. They did all these things. And it's a little unnerving when you come into an interview and they start asking you pointed questions about uh, activities you do. It's like, ah, I see you're a scuba diver. How do you like that? And you're like, you know, without a context, it just, it's like, well, you know, how do you know I'm a scuba diver? Every HR group now looks at that plus all the other items that are available mm-hmm. for that. And they will go then go to your friend site to see what kind of people are they associating with. Mm-hmm. And if you think that I'm kidding, talk to anybody who's had any kind of job interview in the last, in the last month, say right now. Yeah. They hit you up. Uh, they'll even have looked at your podcasting. Mm-hmm. To see what your topics are, <laughs> the kind of tell you have, how much of a rant and rave you get onto. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel sorry for any HR person who has to listen to, uh, what, what we're up to 287 episodes of the podcast. <laughs> I think I would wear them down, honestly. I'd be like, okay, you know, we're going to, we're going to hire them or, or not even consider them. I just can't listen to another episode. Well, they'll just say he, he's a little crazy, but he's harmless as opposed to somebody <laughs> who might not be. Yeah, well, I I know because I've been in the the leadership meetings at work where we're talking about things, and they'll they'll say somebody proposed, and you know everybody always asks the same questions. I mean, I, I've been on both sides of it, so I understand. Uh, but it it does, even though you rationally know it, and I certainly do, it is just uncomfortable when people talk like they know you and you've never met them before that meeting. Yeah. All right, now we can go back to <laughs> go, we'll, about that. We'll go but, back but to our, pro, our regularly scheduled program already in progress. <laughs> this yeah. one's out of Edmonds, Washington. Uh, the bracket landing, uh, they said, is something special. Two and a half miles of underwater trails. The structures and sea life are everywhere. The Bruce Higgin Underwater Trails, named for a lifelong volunteer, created them. In 1977, it was popular but treacherous diving sport. Uh, so Bruce designed and helped install the entire system for safety. Buoys mark trail intersections visible above the water and below. There are ropes for you to follow like hiking paths. 
All these years, Bruce continues to work with other members of the Edmonds Underwater Park stewards. They create and maintain roped pathways covering 27 acres for all skill levels. Could you believe that? Well, I'm curious. One, why did they consider it a treacherous diving spot to begin with? People are just, I don't think it is. I think it's just somebody hyping it up. I mean, look at the articles coming from uh, uh, a TV station. Like, if you ever listen to the news, it's like everybody's like, this candidate was slammed or that candidate was slammed or that. It's like they always got to use these insightful words trying to get everybody. It's like it's got to be a race. They bait you. They bait you. Yeah, it's got to be something exciting. I mean, if it's just the facts, then there's no fun in that. Well, the pathways they're talking about are great. Um, 27 acres for all skill levels. Now, we've done this uh, when you go to uh, Gull Lake. It was a compass course, but if you look sort of in the in the dirt, they're connected by wiring also or cables. Yeah. I, and it's a lot of fun to be able to find all the items you're looking for that way. Yeah, there's still items on that that I have not seen. And Lake 16, too. Lake 16's one, but that's – I'm I'm getting out. Now that I got the dry suit and a little bit larger tank, uh, there's a possibility I could get to some of the farther out stuff. Yeah. So I, I like the idea, and it would be nice. We've often thought in the old days of uh, Paw Lake would be a great place for a dive shop, and then you'd just do that. You'd make trails the whole path out there. How could you get uh, Paw Paw to have some visibility? That's the only – I mean, I like Paw Paw. It's a good dive, and, and this time of year, what's what's the temperature like now? Oh, let me tell you, the business sucks. Uh, <laughs> last couple of years since they've been doing the treatment play, uh, program, it helped with the weeds, but the visibility and the particulate, you're glad to have five feet. If you go out 50 feet down below the thermocline with a light, you can see pretty good, turn the light off, and it's black. Hmm. Whereas... Again, today, Cora was absolutely gorgeous. We had minimum 15 foot. Yeah, see that? So you think it's just the, the water treatment that's killing Papa? There's there's something in the water that's it's creating. Uh, it's almost like tannic acid out there. Yeah. And, and for those who don't know, Papa is a fairly large uh, lake, inland lake here in uh, Michigan. You have little Papa and big Papa. Uh, some springs in a creek that feed it, isn't there? Actually, there's no springs. It is creek fed, and it's the runoff from the farmland, which is what's creating the difficulties with the sediment and the phosphorus levels and all that kind of stuff. You have a lot of nitrites and stuff that are are, are feeding into it. But what ha- what they've done to combat the weeds is they've done these treatments to kill invasive weeds and also just weeds in general. And what happens is is all that weed matter becomes dead weeds, which has to break down. And one of the process of breaking down is turning into uh, salad <laughs> and just uh, particulates everywhere. But that I agree with you. That'd be a beautiful lake. It'd be an excellent place, but you'd have to get that viz improved because I'd hate to, you'd have to get everybody in there before April. And that's kind of rough for a new diver. If you could start them in June and just keep them diving all the time, that wouldn't be bad as far as temperature. Yeah, start them out so they're comfortable and enjoying it. Yeah, you don't freeze them when you're when you're training them. Well, and that's that's what you know. You helped uh, Jim and I do, uh, Jim Kleeman and myself, is that we 
dove with you and you kept giving us a trick each week of, you know, hey, you know, bring some priming water and, you know, upgrade your gloves and, and do this other stuff. And before you knew it, we're diving in 40 degree water and wetsuits. Yeah. Just a little bit at a time. True. When you had a good fitting wetsuit and if you're a student, you're taking something off the rack. So every time you squirt, you know, you move your arms, mm-hmm. you get that billows and you're putting oh, yeah. fresh cold water up your armpit. Yeah. Not really comfortable. Now, that was one of the first things I bought was a, was a good wetsuit. And I still got it. <laughs> yes, you do. All the pieces of it. <laughs> Maybe I could raffle it off or something. Underwater trails. I love them. Yeah. So underwater trails, I agree. It'd be, it'd be nice to have, uh, it gives you something to do. It's a great, if you got blown off the big lake, you know, cause right now it's perfect time to be out in the big lake. If you can get there. Visibility on the iron side, been 80 feet. Oh, that was beautiful. You can see the hogging arches all the way from one end to the next. Yeah. We need to have Kevin on the show. Just the amount of diving he's doing, have him talk about it. Well, you'd want to pick a particular topic because there's so much you can talk about. Well, I, I think the, just him talking about his, uh, you know, the shore dives. I mean, because with Kevin, you could talk about local shallow diving. You could talk about, you know, his shipwreck hunting, his research. Uh, you know, he's now getting into tech diving. So you could go just about any angle. But uh, he, he, I'd say, is qualifies as scuba obsessed. He's averaging probably in the water three times a week. Yes. He's trying for a hundred and something this summer. Wow. And he will make it. I think so too. I think so too. Well, I've been out with him every Friday night. We've been searching, doing uh, mowing the lawn. And so last th- week we were out. We. So this is his third I year, think. isn't it? Third full year. Yeah. Yeah. And he's gone though from novice to, uh, mm-hmm. I think he's working on his master diver now. Excellent. Good job. Well, researchers at Sheffield University have created a small underwater robot, uh, something that they think could be used in search and rescue Michigan, uh, Michigan's missions. The robot module, the robotic modules are like Legos. They can be assembled into robots of different shapes. This means they could fill many different tasks. Each module is a cube with four micro pumps that allow it to move around independently in the water. Joining modules together lets them draw fluid in from one another as well as from their surroundings. Routing the fluid through the network of modules makes the robot move. The more modules in the network, the more precisely the robot moves and the better it copes with faults. PhD student uh, Matthew Doyle from the Department of Atomic Controls and Systems Engineering has been working on the project. He said one potential use for the robot like this is during search and rescue operations in underwater environment. The modules could split up, search for survivors more quickly, recombine to lift a heavy job object, and open up a passageway. One of the challenges in robotics is to make the robots small enough that they can travel through confined spaces that are otherwise inaccessible. Shrinking robots down potentially sub-millimeter scale puts severe constraints in the hardware. Therefore, much information these robots can process. Another use for robots is travel down and inspect underwater pipes. I think it's an interesting idea. But I think a lot of that, even though they've made this small prototype, is all hypothetical. As somebody who's been playing a lot with robots, uh, you could go a little bit bigger. I mean, I think if you went playing card size, you'd be a little bit better off than what the, these look to be almost exactly like Lego blocks. 
That's almost like the bio, uh, the bio robots that are micro in scale. Oh, the, the, nan- the nanobots, the right, and they put them in your bloodstream. They can do the same thing internally. Mm-hmm. And that's where they're looking at, and down the road, I'm sure it's going to work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you look at what we can do with an Arduino or an XM Pi, not XM Pi, a uh, Raspberry Pi, uh, you can. You, we're getting down to inexpensive computers being small. Uh, the thing that these need is they need to have awareness. They need to be able to communicate to each other. They need to have vision, some other things. And that those are still a challenge at that small size and to be able to bring them together. But it's definitely a trend. So uh, I put it in that, you know, five to ten years out category as opposed to I don't think it's ready now. No, like it's conceptual as where it's at now. And then how about this? A lost scuba beacon has been found. It's uh, rescue locator beacon drifts 1,100 miles and is now found. Two years ago, a marine biology professor at Scripps Institution of Oceanography in California is participating in a research dive in the Cayman Islands when he inadvertently lost his Nautilus lifeline radio. Someone in Texas found it and returned it to him. On May 26, Harry Payne was walking in Padre National, well, Padre Island National Seashore in Texas when he stumbled across the item half buried in the sand. He returned it. It turned out to be the professor's Nautilus lifeline and seemed to be in reasonably good loca- uh, condition. He located a serial number, contacted manufacturers, given the owner's email address. The radio had drifted more than 1,100 miles. See, I'm thinking the way to return that is you pop that top open and you hit that button <laughs> and you just sit there on the pier and wait for people to show up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's what I want to know. Is it still working? It sounded like it. Looking at the top of it, other than maybe the battery wasn't, I don't know. Didn't yeah. say how many, How well, two years. Well, it looks like it's because you can see the salt around it. So it's been... Float in the water for a while. The, the case is sun bleached because I think, and even the button, if you look at that button there, that was a, probably a bright red button and it's pale. But it looked like it was, uh, the seal was intact. You know, it didn't flood. Oh, no, yeah, because the antenna looks good and that that does look like a pink button, but it's not deformed. The yellow and the, the green yeah. and all the corrosions on the outside lip. So it looks like it, the integrity of the item is. is and it, it's not intended to be sitting out in the sun for a couple of years. Right. Uh, those, so, those are really good ideas, especially if I were working or um, doing a lot of ocean diving, I would right. have one of those in a heartbeat. They only run like 300 bucks. Yeah, it's 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 worth it. And it's it's peace of mind for your family. Well, there's the, the version I'd want is one, it'll give you a, a satellite beacon to where you're, you're exactly at. One of them has the capability of being able to communicate within 15 miles on any nautical channel, meaning the emergency channel. And you also have communication that you can actually talk with those vessels. Now, that's pretty darn good. And as much solo work as some of us do, having that is not a bad idea. No. No, because it, it could be anywhere. Right. I mean, I take my cell. I, I buy a cheap you know, throwaway cell, put it in a dry box, keep it in my basket so if I have something that I'm not killed mm-hmm. right off, you know, I got broken leg or something, I can at least make a call. Yeah, that's a good idea. 
a little burner uh, phone to, to do stuff like that. Well, yeah, a lot of jumpers do that now. They get a throwaway phone. They put it in their inside pocket, not their big ones because they don't want to lose, you know, $700. You make an off-field landing, you ding your leg, you can call them and say, oh, by the way, I broke my freaking leg. How about give me a hand? So those are really good ideas, and obviously the seal works pretty darn good. Yeah. I'm still looking for that underwater GPS, though. Yeah. It's got to be coming. I keep hearing about it. Uh, I, th- I think time to shake the tree of uh, some of those companies to see how they're coming along with it. Because I, I don't see anything. I mean, you would think if you had this product, you would want to be screaming it from all over how great this is. But I'm yes. not even seeing anything positive or negative. It's just it's there's no noise. Well, actually, I mean, they exist, but they're military. And by the same token, you don't want your, your bad buddies who are not your buddies that have the same technology? Well, the, the supposedly the ones that are out there, and they're commercially available now. They've, been, they've begun shipping. Uh, they haven't been out a long time, but they've got a module that can go on the dive boat, and it can tell you in relation to the boat where all the divers are. And then if you've got one underwater, it will tell you where your dive buddies are and also how much air they've got. Uh, and I, I'd like to see one, like to see how one works. Because that would be, I'm not going to be the guinea pig. I know how first-generation technology is, and if it's not ready, you know, you need to find somebody else. I've, yeah. I'm too much of a cheapskate to go and spend, you know, $500 myself and then convince five other friends to spend $500 each to have something that you kind of go, eh, I wish we didn't have this yet. Not quite ready. Well, the key item is if you use in your basket, if you have an antenna there and you're on a cable to your GPS, it will work. <clears throat> but, but the key item is being able to have a GPS without an antenna dragging behind you. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I, if, I told you how to do the poor man's GPS, right? Remember how you do that? Come up and okay. ask somebody? No. You're on your cell phone. You have the float buoys like we have. Uh-huh. Your phone is attached to the top of the buoy in a waterproof container on when you find something you pull that down and you hold it for a minute then you let it back up what happens to your phone you lose the signal bar so when you're going back with your gps to see where you went you can know exactly where you lost your signal when you regained it that was your gps heading so you've got but how do you know what do you got that's recording the gps track some of the Phones you have will give you a track. Like on my uh, Garmin, mm-hmm. my portable. Oh, okay. It has a tracking. It, I mean, it's got to draw, it draws a line on the map. Yeah. Well, I've, you know, I've, as one of my occupations or one of my responsibilities is we develop mobile apps. So it is not that much of a challenge to write an app to do that. So that's what I was thinking about is that maybe that's something to, that's something to write. Code. Well, I'm looking at a couple up right now called Nav Dive, and it's one of these contact us for the price. Yeah. So they have it, but they are using the cable. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now, I'd still like to try it out. Oh, yeah. Anybody's got one, would like a field demonstration or testing? Contact Scuba yes. Obsessed. Yeah. Send us an email, the show at scubaobsessed.com. Let's see. We've got. Dutch Explorer, 
a 17th century shipwreck versus divers explore. I don't know if they're Dutch. The oldest known shipwreck around the coast of Ireland is currently being researched by marine archaeologists as part of the Rainus funded research project examining archaeology of the Danish trade monopoly period 1602 to 1787. The wreck was originally discovered in 1992 by two divers, Erlender, oh, Gorsmorninson. Yeah, good for that. And Savar Arneson. And there is somebody in some country far away either cringing or laughing. Now, I am not saying what that, that country is. The Old Harbor, Flatley Island in, are those even characters? There's no way in hell you or I could pronounce that name. Is that Welsh? <laughs> I said it was their Ireland. It, just, just say it's along the coast of the west coast of Iceland. <laughs> oh, okay, that could be Iceland too. That is oh, Iceland. it is. It is Iceland. Yeah. Yes. I mean, they can't even draw a D. I mean, when when you bend the mast of the D over, that is that is pretty bad in the word. A survey project carried out in the wreckage of the 1993 by Doctor Barjan. Aronson, do my Swedish chef impersonation, of National Museum of Ireland uncovered a significant amount of 17th century Dutch pottery associated with the wreckage in the area. Approximately 35 square meters of the wreck was recorded. Flatley Island was previously a significant trading harbor and transit point for trades over the centuries in Ireland. The ship in question is believed to have been a Dutch armed merchant named the Milkmead. Oh. Milkmate is what it translates into. Sunk in Flatley Harbor in the autumn of 1659, the ship had been rented by Jonas Trelund, a, a Danish merchant, to trade with the Icelanders on the West Coast that year and was likely crewed by mostly Dutch sailors. While at anchor in the harbor, it was due to sail back to Europe with full cargo of fish on board. Fierce storms blew up, caused it to catch fire and sink. Oops. All but one of the 15 crew members on board died. Now, take a look at that photo there. A screenshot of Dense Point Cloud Stage of the 3D photogrammatical model of the Milkmaid Shipwreck. That could be the Havana. Yeah. So what they've done is they've taken a lot of photos and run it through the software, and it stitches it together makes a 3D photo. So we certainly could do the same thing. There, if. See, that's what we need to do is get everybody to agree on that's something they want to do, and we could do it. I've I've got all the, the call it plans, instructions for how to do it, and it's not that expensive. According to the Icelandic annals of the remainder of the crew salvaged and what they could find from the sinking ship and remainder of Flatley Island that winter looked after the locals there the next spring in 1660, the annals note they built another ship from the wreckage of the milkmaid and sailed home. So if they built another wreck, then what is this? Or built another wreck, another ship. Well, you figure this is the bones of the bottom of the keel. You've still got your planking and stuff from the top, so, so you can form another boat. Yeah, so they, you, you would have to lay another keel. You had, you could, let's say you could salvage the, the mass and the sails, That's but it caught fire. Huh. Of course, it only, it, it only burned until it went underwater. <laughs> It probably stopped once it sank. But uh, some nice pottery shards that they've got there. 17th century ducks pottery. Wish I knew the depth. Depth doesn't look too bad, and the visibility is pretty decent. 
Well, you, you figure it, it sounded like it sank right at dock. So it was at the dock. The storm went heavy. And then they salvaged it. So what it probably sat right there near the, you know, what, less than 30 feet of water, I would say. Maybe even less than 20. Nice. Some good photos in there. Yes, very nice. And the picture of all the guys, one of those guys could be us. It could be. So the mod is next, huh? Yep, they said they're at it again. So we butchered the uh, Iceland. Now we're going to butcher the Norwegians. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm sure I can slaughter Norwegians uh, pronunciation as well. Norwegians make another attempt at lifting lifting the Maud that was Roland Osmussen's ship in 1930 near what is Cambridge Bay. A team of Norwegians are trying to lift the sunken ship from the shallows of Cambridge Bay, Navukt, that has been resting in de- for decades. It started life between 1918 and 1920 when explorer Roland Amundsen sailed to the Arctic and attempt to cross the North Pole. After he went bankrupt, the ship was sold to the Hudson Bay Company, where it was used as a floating warehouse. It sank off Cambridge Bay in 1930 has been there ever since. John Wagengard, uh, project manager of the Norway-based organization Maud Returns Home, has been working to repatriate the uh, century-old ship for more than six years. He hoped to lift the vessel out of the water last summer, but it didn't happen. We were not very skilled at lifting. See, I should, I should do it with an accent. Uh, it's a thing that nobody has done before, so we had to learn as we go along. He says one of the most important things they learned last year was how much the ship weighs. It's very hard to determine the weight before you actually feel the weight of her when you start to lift her. We also had some experiences in how to tie the straps for the air buoyancy. Uh, Wangard's a team used balloons to lift the mod off the seafloor. Then they will sink a barge, move it underneath the ship. Once the barge is in place, they'll raise it up so the mod rests on top of it. After that, they'll get ready for the journey home to Norway. First thing they he said they have to do is dry the ship out. We'll dry her in the cold climate because it's ideal for wood, says Wangard. We really have to consider what we'll do. Maybe we'll leave her in Cambridge Bay for the winter, or we will start moving. Either we'll do it or we won't. I mean, that kind of sounds noncommittal. I'm kind of, do you really want to dry it out that quickly? I I'm, I don't understand when they say the Arctic time capsule. I'm looking at the pictorial. It's shallow. Part of the uh, decking on the right side is out of the water, which is also shown in the aerial photo. Yes. Anything in that ship has been picked over. Oh, yeah, people have gone. And- Not to mention the top superstructure has been removed. So I, I'm curious, what do they mean by time capsule? Because I don't see it, and it's not that old. No. No, you're – it was a floating warehouse, so you know when it sank, they took everything off. They went out and salvaged. And so anything of value they could get to or that they wanted to get, they got. And then when they were done, people went over and repicked it again to see if there's anything missed. So unless there's something unique in the construction – yeah, it's a fun thing to do. Yeah, heck, but expensive. <laughs> What's the ROI on this? Oh, nothing. Their time, having having some fun. 
It's been too great to have fun. Well, I, I'm kind of wondering what kind of conservation are going to be able to do because I've heard of the freeze-dry technique, but I don't think that's what they're going to get here. I think they're, they're going to dry it too quick, but that's just me. And then the last, I, to, I went to the side note. That a side note here. Mm-hmm. I was prepared to raise the Arctic time capsule. Now here's some pictures you didn't see. Hang on one second. I'll send you the link. This is interesting. Copy and let me find you. I know it doesn't help the people who might be listening. Well, I'll, I'll, paste, I'll paste it in there so they've got a shot at it. All right, you see it? Okay. Yeah, I got it. That's probably going to, it looks like it's going to start playing on me. Yeah, when they talk about the airbag, that's not what I expected. Now it is. Yeah, because they said balloons, but they're t- these are actual uh, balloons. Huge commercial lift bags. Yeah, these are commercial lift bags, which is what you would use in this project. When they said they didn't know how much it weighed, I'm thinking that's a fairly simple weight calculation. Yeah, because I'm looking at the rusty artifacts, and it's like uh, there ain't nothing there unique, people. So did they get it up last year and then resank it again? or? Well, look how shallow water it is. Picture 10 shows uh, it's really shallow. Well, th- then they got some where it's actually on shore, yeah, like like done. photo six. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, they they show the nails being handmade. <clears throat> well, in that one picture, actually picture number one, it seems to indicate a lot more of the side of the vessel is up than the other pictures show. That's a couple of feet of decking on the side, and you notice the hinge straps on the side. I wonder if. Are those hinge straps or are those the old straps for the rigging? You know what this looks like? If we found a ship in uh, Sheboygan, in the bay there. Like the two that are already there that look like that. Yes, that look like that. Hmm. Well, you look at that community, and that's not, that's just, this is more of, you're, you're getting up there. Uh, so maybe people just really weren't that interested in going out there. Interesting though. Yeah. I mean I would I would play around with it, certainly. And then this is a article from Life Hacker out of India, so it must be their India version of it. And they say scuba diving tips and they say stop food intake two hours before the swim. And this is obviously written uh, the the author is uh, Gunja Deo. It's good if you're adventurous and willing to tape up risky tasks and try out new things and explore new places, but sometimes you do not go for the proper research about what you're going to take up. Such adventure turns out to be a disaster. Yeah, this is uh, Indian English, so it's a little hard to follow. Uh, but they talk about the temperature of the seawater, the weather conditions. So this is really, they're talking about rookie, rookie stuff. Oh, absolutely. Uh, should be well aware of an, uh, fish and animals, food and water. You should not eat anything for at least two hours before you go scuba diving. The best thing is to eat before diving can be fruits, yogurt, vegetables, and whole grains. Completely avoid fatty foods such as hamburgers, french fries, and sausage. It's also important to drink water before and between dives. So I agree on the hydration. Is that really a rule to don't drink? Well, not where I'm from. Remember, it used to be you couldn't 
swim for a couple hours after you ate. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I they disproved that. I, the the one thing is that it, it depends. Uh, if you've never, I, I think if you've never done a dive, say you're going to do a discover dive, it's probably not bad advice because certain things you should understand is if you eat food and then you go lay down immediately after, do you have acid reflux or indigestion? Well, that's going to be the position you're going to be in when you're scuba diving. So you might not want to do that. Well, and if you're going to go on a choppy dive or a boat ride, maybe you didn't want to eat right. Well, see, for my entertainment, I want the people I go diving with to do eat all that. Because <laughs> it's much funnier if you puke and spew over the side of the boat than if we just have a quiet dive. We used to go for breakfast. After breakfast, I'd go dive. Oh, yeah. You want some nice runny eggs, you know, get the yolks not quite done. Now you got to have grits with your eggs, with your grits. bacon. Oh, Come yeah. On. little little maple syrup. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, and it's, and that's something, I, I guess that's a form of hazing, which shouldn't, we shouldn't be doing, but uh, you can puke through a regulator. It's been done. Yep. And you uh, can also scream through one. Yes. You can. And then uh, number five was time spent diving. Do you know how long your dive will be at sea? All depends on the amount of oxygen in your tank. <laughs> this person didn't do any research. This is the Now, how about the photo? Don't you love the photo? This is obviously a student in the photo. And she did, She looks like she didn't eat two hours before she went. <laughs> no. no. Uh, she's, but she's not trimmed. You know, not, not, not I'm being super critical and she's dragging her dive computer. How much, how much material does she need on that belt? That belt you could wrap around her twice. <laughs> hey, the visibility is good. Now, some of the articles that didn't make it was talking about picking your first dive spots and they were talking about you had to, you choose a spot where the water's warm and you have excellent visibility. So I like that idea. It sounds awful good, but. I still like the phraseology, though. You should be well aware of the climactic conditions at the time <laughs> of diving. If there is any predilection of strong waves, rain, or lightning, postpone it. Yeah, especially if you're toting that lightning rod behind you on the string. Yes. Yeah, we do not recommend lightning rods. Well, that does it for Scuba in the News. Kind of a light week this week for the news. Yes, it was. Yeah. And and we we dragged it out by uh, doing a couple squirrel moments. <laughs> I tell you what, that's squirrel stuff. I just watched him walk across my, my viewpoint and I'm gone. Yeah. It doesn't take much. When the hell are you going to get wet, buddy? Oh. You're noticeable by your absence. I know I am. I'm you into it or something. Okay. Well, let's see. Uh, so is anybody, what what dives are going on this weekend so I can miss them? <laughs> I'm uh, not even going to go there. Uh, I, I know the Iron Sights has been hit uh, multiple times. Um, and I'm going to have to use Kevin, of course. He's got some fabulous video. Yes. Because the visibility has been excellent. Except on the freaking Havana that if you got four foot, you were lucky. <laughs> Well, the Havana can, can be hit or miss. You've just got to get it right. I did, uh, did get some video of the tunnel I went in, the intake. Mm -hmm. Now, was that you who was with him? Kevin did, on the tunnels? Yeah, we yeah. went on that. 
I went inside and then I went down to go into the tunnel that goes to shore. Yeah. yeah. So, so people who don't know about this, because they, they don't probably don't have all our, our Facebook contacts, uh, Kevin got a tip from a fisherman, I understand. Oh, this is a different one. This is a different um Oh, different time. That's the one up in South Haven. Yes. Yeah, you guys are diving so much that in a week we have we have multiple stories. Yes. So so he got a tip of from a fisherman of an object. So he went to dive on it, and then discovered it was a water intake, and then he verified that it was no longer active by talking with the municipality there. Which is probably good as opposed to waiting to see if the flow sucks you to the screen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the intake pipe. Yeah, he he said there was quite a bit of uh, muscles on it, so he he knew it wasn't currently being used. And so then you dove another intake. Yeah, we dove the. Uh, we were looking for the flat one that we've been on. Once oh yeah, in ten years. But we hit the big one, went on the inside, and I went down to take a look at the intake pipe. That is probably a, every bit of fifty, sixty percent full of sand now. Wow. And uh, it was still a fun dive. And then we did the North Pier at night. We did a night dive out there. And if you want to get slapped side the head by some fish, do it at nighttime. <laughs> I don't know if they don't see me or they're just sneaking up on you to, to, to run into you. Hey, watch this. Blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if you're using your light, don't forget not to put it too close to your freaking compass. Why is that? Because it changes the compass direction. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you, you have to pull it a certain distance away and use a reflective from it. Ah. Better yet, put it on top of it for a couple of minutes before you start so it becomes luminous. Yeah, because some, well, some of the compasses will have uh, the glow in the dark in it. Right. But, uh, yeah, we, we had fun with that for It's like, damn it, that's why it's doing that. <laughs> but when I could go around the outside of the North Pier, and have visibility at night, that was pretty freaking nice. Yes, I bet. And the river has been nice too. So you you did get you mentioned that you had gotten in the river. I got in the river yesterday. Where were you diving? Uh, <clears throat> where we normally do. Okay. We went out to check the bridge. So I got out. I, I did it the the pipe, then went north okay. upstream, and then went under the mm-hmm. one half of the section of the new bridge. So you're looking for the stuff that you were looking for. Totally, totally different than you will ever expect. Really? Under the bridge? No sand. It's clay. Undulating hills like when they might have used a claw to move oh. things around. There's so no they... trees or anything, but it, it's really, there is no bottles. There's no debris under the bridge. Huh. It's new crap all over the place. When you and say new crap. Hills and valleys. Hills and valleys. But There's are there objects it. down there? No. Okay. You can stick your hand up to almost to your armpit in some of the valleys. Mm-hmm. They've got loose pack. And then you'll be on white clay. I mean, you're when you hit the clay, it's it's white. And oh. you know how that comes up on your suit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it makes a nice. Uh, and then nice. they've got, instead of normal concrete riprap, looks like they've got um, rocks and boulders big as your fist. And because a watermelon, not watermelon, cantaloupe in certain sections. It's, and the visibility was only like two and a half, three feet, not even that. It was low. And if you didn't take your river stick, you were not going to go forward. You were going to be dragged backwards. Okay. 
but water was warm. I, I only used one hood, and that's just to keep the crap out of my ears. Okay. And it was high noon, so I had a high sun. And from the pipe we, we normally launch to go into going up on the yeah. left, I mean, you've got your mufflers and your shock absorbers and yeah. that kind of stuff. But uh, not what I expected to find after the winter. Hmm. Yeah, so all that work and everything seems like it, it did the opposite of what we thought. It cleaned everything up. I'm getting, I'm really anxious to get on the opposite side now. But I'd like to get a boat ride over there. I don't want to swim. Yeah, it'd be I, nice to have uh, a boat with a trolling motor and then just let us be downstream from it and drifting. Yeah, I'm, as I'm getting a little older, what I used to do, I can't quite do as well or as safely. Mm-hmm. These new guys put you to shame, though. Well, then again, they're 30 years younger than us. Oh, yeah. Well, me, anyway. Well, you and they're, they're younger than me yet, too, so. Yeah. But, hey, if you're not out there diving, I mean, hits, like you said, summer's almost over. Yeah, we're hitting that 4th of July weekend. So if you can't get out this weekend, then you've got that holiday weekend. That, and either that's a dive weekend or not a dive weekend. 4th right. is on a Monday. Yeah. I'm and, trying to get a kayak dive in down by the Indian place yeah. in Pawpaw because there's some interesting stuff down there. I, I noticed last year. I want to go back and look again. Mm-hmm. Since I don't got a boat, I'll take the kayak, launch there at Forest Beach, swim on down and change in somebody's uh, under somebody's dock or something. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've got to get a dive in. Uh, I feel like I'm coming out of the fog. This, this, uh, you know, being without power for four days did not help me at all. Oh, man. I do not envy you that at all. No, no. And I just, I didn't think it was going to be that long. Yeah. Uh, but there was 30,000 people without power at the peak. Yep. That's crunch. Yep. It's a lot. Well, I know, I know Sass has got a lot of good dives for the rest of the summer. Uh, Richard makes all of those. Obviously, I do all the Thursday dives. Uh, not sure where we're going to be next week, but uh, the river looks like it's going to be tenable. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people are doing something with their dive flag to make it higher. I've got mine. I got a six foot pole on mine now and three flags that we're going to start putting verbiage on it. Like stay the hell away a hundred, 200 feet. <laughs> if we're having, we're having pontoon boats come like oh. 20, 30 feet saying, what's going on? What are you guys doing? So it's all about who's got a bigger pole then. Well, you want visibility. They don't see it until too late sometime. The higher the flagpole and the more garbage on it, it's like, oh, okay, something's there. But that just makes you curious. Come over to see what it is. Yeah, so they don't have binoculars on board. They're going to go, wait, there's some wording on it. I wonder what it says. Yeah, yeah, if you away. can read this, you are too close. Oh, yeah. Go away. 200 feet. Yeah. Prime example was today. I have no clue what they're doing. So they used you as a turning pylon. Well, we had six flags out there, so they could just go between us. <laughs> Solemn course. A moving target. Well, excellent. That's, it, glad to see somebody's getting some dives. I can dive vicariously through you guys. Uh, now, I did see something today or heard of something today, and I want to give a shout-out to Rich Sinowick of Diver, Diver Sink and uh, 
uh, what's his what's his shop? Michigan uh, Divers Incorporated or Divers Incorporated in Michigan? Mental blank, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I know. I'm having a hard time. Hey, it's it's almost midnight again. Uh, but he has gotten his Patty Course Director certification, which I believe is a top certification you can get. And I asked Rich, you know, what does that accomplish for him? And he said, to get the specialty instructor training cert, this is the pinnacle of diving. No more certs to get. So I guess in the game of card collecting, he won. Excellent. <laughs> so congratulations, Rick. I think it also means that you are trained to where you can create other uh, yes. instructors. That is, is true. Is really what it means. Yeah. And it, you, you need to listen to his podcast if you haven't in a while because he was talking about some of the training. So go back a few episodes. He had He's had a couple interesting uh, to listen to, and that's a Divers Sync podcast. So congratulations, Rich. Glad to see you, you did it. I need to, That's what I think I need to do, and it may be once the kids have graduated. I, I need that kind of that challenge of getting some sort of uh, rating to get me back in it. Well, Kevin's working on his master and, uh, see, I, I know I can get my master diver. I mean, I've got all the, about that. I've got all my dives and stuff in, but I, but a dive master a little bit more. The only thing that concerns me about somebody's professional is the, uh, the amount of money you got to spend annually <laughs> to keep them current. Well, if you're going to practice as an instructor, you want that because you want the insurance. Oh, certainly. Yeah, there's some value to it. But if you're not make if you don't if you're not doing it to create some sort of revenue to come in that can be a little bit of a drag in the funds. But hopefully that means you get some diving in. Well let's see. Do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, actually, uh Oh, we had a we had a mud club meeting that I didn't make because I didn't have power. <laughs> I was I was trying to figure out how to get water for the horses and eat. Yeah, yeah, we did have a club meeting. Uh, we set the date for August twentieth, I think, for the uh, club picnic. Okay, it's a Saturday. We're gonna have it at Niles. There'll be a combo of those who want to kayak and kayak, and other than that, we're gonna have a drift dive, which was a lot of fun. So we're gonna have a drift dive, or you can kayak. Hopefully we'll have kayakers who don't dive who just want to be safety. Yeah. I did that two years ago. I did that drift dive and that was a blast. There's something about a drift dive where you just, you don't care about anything, just going from one spot and lazily getting to the next. Yeah. I see it more as a competition for the older guys, meaning the guys have done it before because you can, Oh wow. Look at that. I stopped to grab that and put it in your oh. goodie bag. And then, Oh, look at that. I love it. I'm not saying I didn't get stuff. (laughs) I think I picked up a shovel. There was a lot of stuff. I think it's probably more important the stuff I left. Yeah. So we got that coming up, and then we're discussing uh, club hats, T-shirts, sweatshirts, and jackets, because there's uh, some of the ladies in the club says, well, my husband have a jacket, and I don't got one. Oh. So I got quotes from a couple of groups for – jacket and the uh embroidery mm-hmm. but uh we're having a little hold up there because i'm trying to locate our old copies for the computers for the embroidery. 
because they charge per the stitch, and we're talking probably 15,000 stitches. Oh, yeah. For the back of the jacket. So it's not going to be inexpensive, but at the least we're going to wind up getting shirts. We may not get color ones this year. We may get one or two color mm-hmm. on a gray, which would be fine. And you're still talking in the $10 range. A yeah. Little more. So that came up, and it was quite interesting. So we had a good discussion on that. Yeah, I mean, that's something I, I need to do. I go through hats like crazy. Well, we had uh, prizes and stuff. Ooh, you had prizes again. Uh, yeah, the, she brought, uh, El Presidente brought in a uh, bottle. It was a cob stopper. Oh. Oh, yeah, really good condition. And then uh, she asked questions about who knows the following items, and then people who were the closest got prizes. And then they had a, a actually sort of coincidental, a couple of weeks ago, not even a couple of weeks, they talked about ball jars, and you saw the uh, item on Facebook on it. They talked how to date them from the early ones to the current one is the, the script and how the ball emblem is portrayed, projected. You can date them by that. And then last week, there was an article on ball jars and the Heropladium talking about the different colors and how much some of them are worth. You want to start keeping those ball jars, <laughs> especially if you get anything with color in it. Oh, yeah. So that was a lot of fun. Well, that, that is that is nice. I like uh, when they do that. That makes it a little bit interesting. Yeah. So, sorry yeah. I missed it, but hopefully next time. Oh yeah, we took over Roma's afterwards again. Oh, good. So they're on their summer hours, so they're not bitching about we getting there late. <laughs> yeah, it, summer's a good time for pizza because it gets too hot to cook at home. People order pizza. Yeah. And the and their their most of their orders start coming in later. Yeah, I think we had twenty some people there at that meeting. Uh and another new guy joined, had a, a new guy of the day dive with us on the Thursday Thursday. He just got certified. Uh doctor matter of fact. Uh so looking up, looking good. Young people. Excellent. Well, if you want to follow us on Facebook, we're on facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed on Twitter at scuba obsessed. And we're also on what else? Oh, we got our website, of course, www.scubaobsessed.com. If you have anything that you'd like us to talk about, drop us a line, uh, in communications with some people to get some guests on. It's been a while since we had a guest, probably time to redo that. Well, let's see anything else. I think that should do it. So we're waiting for the. Yeah, we're at we're at that time of the show. So here we go. A priest is leaving a church when he sees a young boy staring at a wall with a long list of names inscribed, many with stars and stripes beside them. Priest continues his duties. When he finished, he prepared to lock up, but notices this young boy is still in the same spot. Approaching him, he asks, can I help? No, replies the boy. But what is this? Oh, that's a list of the young men who died in the service, said the priest. As they leave the church, the boy pulls the priest close. Bending down, he asks the boy what he wants. Trembling, the boy asks, was it the 9 or the 1130 service? Uh, 
They're going to hell, young man. <laughs> well, that's what he said. It said it was service. <laughs> you know, it's one of those where I read it the first time I didn't get it, and I went, oh, that's what they were. Okay, I got it now. It's because it's I didn't have power. Yes. That's it. Power to the people. The power to the people, of course. <laughs> so until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. been completed.